All right, here we go. Great. Hey there, I'm Nick. I'm in my 20s trying to figure out life and what faith has to do with it. I've got a lot of questions, probably very similar to the ones you've got. But here's the thing. I'm looking for a better answer, and it's difficult to find someone who can help. So I'm bringing on Kyle, a mentor of mine, who's going to help me find a better answer. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to A Better Answer. I have some exciting news. Next week, we Kyle's back. Kyle is back. We're going we're gonna to have him in the studio together, and we're going to have a regular episode um, where we dive into some topic or question that I have that I'm going through. So, I'm, so look forward to that on Monday, which means today is the last week that I, I get to bring a message to you guys um, that Kyle has spoken. And this one is particularly, uh, it's impacted me. It's called Civilian or Soldier. Uh, it's from the fourth week of our hero's journey that we did all together as a church. And I just remember it being very motivating. It just, it kind of uncovers and uh, takes off um, the blinders that you may have on from believing some lies about your life as a follower of Jesus. And so listen in, I think it's going to be motivating and going to help you see where, where maybe to take some next steps, where to go, how to, um, how to be engaged and be excited about it. So that's really all I'm going to say. I'm going to let the message speak for itself. Oh, one last thing. In the beginning is a, is a cool video piece. Um, if you want to see it, you can look up uh, the message from Heroes Week 4 on YouTube. But So there's some sound effects that maybe <laughs> they don't translate to just podcast audio. But the message, the, the cool video thing, uh, and the words in it still translate. So also, this was back in 2021 when the, the Bengals had a track record of not doing so great. But that was also the year we went to the Super Bowl. And so you'll hear Kyle kind of comment on... Uh, the state of the Bengals in, at this time. So, hey, enjoy that for what it is. And he did call it. He did He did call it. We we went to the Super Bowl that year, like he says at the end of his little his little spiel. So listen in, and I'll, I'll jump in at the end. Enjoy. Do you know that there are 2 billion Christians in the world? My question is, then how come there are still any problems? Like, how come there's still any brokenness? I mean, there's only 7 billion people in the world total. 2 billion seems like enough to help the rest. The only explanation is that most Christ followers are missing it. See, they don't understand who they were made to be. Let me tell you the reason for that. There's a war going on around you that you're not supposed to know about. A battle raging that they're banking you'll passively accept like today's weather. Looks like rain, but whatever, right? The casualties are obvious, strewn across your feed like bugs in a windshield, but they're hoping you'll accept the splatter as a normal part of normal life. Just colorful guts to wash out of your view, a fleeting inconvenience. Why? Because if you did discover the war, you might think to ask where all the soldiers are, and that absolutely cannot happen. So they'll do anything to get you to keep your eyes closed and go back to sleep, please. But if you do see the war, if the evidence on your windshield is too much to ignore, they have a plan. One that's been working for thousands of years. It goes like this. If I were fighting a war, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd leverage my strengths. And if my strength was lying, like I was so good at it that my nickname was the father of lies, I would lie like hell. Not to my troops. 
I tried to convince the opposing soldiers that they were actually civilians because if I could pull that off, I'd win the war without a fight. So when you ask where the soldiers are, you never even think to look in the mirror because you have already decided you're a victim of the war, a simple civilian, and that's how I'd win. The question this week is simple. Are you a civilian or are you a soldier? The hero's journey is about your path to greatness. And today is when it hits an uphill climb that frankly, few people ever make. And so here's a promise and a warning right up front. The promise, if you're willing to watch and really listen, you're gonna hear what I believe is second only to Jesus loving you and saving you, the best news of your entire life. See, you are made for so much more than you know. You're so much more significant than you understand. And when that gets unlocked in you, you will experience life in the fullest, freshest, most invigorating way possible. We've been using this word hero in this journey to describe that kind of life, the person that each of us is meant to become and the character we're meant to embody. And, and while there are many kinds of heroes, you know, from like reluctant heroes to accidental heroes, we're actually made to be a very specific kind an intentionally enlisted hero. Another name for that kind of hero is a soldier. Somebody who sober-mindedly signs in the dotted line and dedicates their entire life to service. Here's the warning. I'm giving you high octane today. I'm not gonna pull any punches. Why? Because we're at the fork in the trail where too many people decided the path to greatness is just too steep and they waste their life looking at life instead of experiencing it. Recently, Sarah and I got to go to the Grand Canyon. It was our anniversary. We went there with no kids. Fantastic, by the way. How they recommend that part of the trip. And when we got there, it was packed. It was crowded. There was so many people at the rim of the canyon just looking down into it. And if you've never been there, you have to understand, it, it's like mind-blowingly huge. I mean, it's epic in its proportions. And everyone's just standing there looking at it. There was hardly any room at the rail to look down into it. And then Sarah and I, because we're kind of crazy, we decided what we wanted to do is actually hike the entire thing, which is 18 miles from rim to river and back in a day. By the way, there's an elevation change of one mile going down and back up. It's like the reverse of mountain climbing, you know? Like in mountain climbing, you do the hard part first and then the easy part second. In canyon hiking, you do the easy part first, the down, and the hard part next. It's nuts, it's insane. Here's what we discovered. Despite the crowds at the top, peering into the canyon, if you just go about a mile down the path, no one is there. See, most people who go there, they pass on the real experience. They just stand at the rim and they spectate at the thing. And this is life. Most of us just stand at the edge and we, and we look at it. And God's invitation is to step into it. So you were made for greatness, you were, but you have to choose to go there. You know, people decide to pass because we have a very persuasive enemy who's waging a kind of psychological warfare and has been carefully crafting a lie for millennia just to make sure, just to make sure that you and me unwittingly waste our lives blindly strolling down the path to irrelevance. In fact, your enemy's greatest fear is you waking up to that reality. 
In John 8, Jesus said, He, your enemy, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. His chief and greatest lie to Christians, and really anyone exploring faith, it's that they're civilians, that their job is just to sit at the top and wait for the soldiers down below in the field and cheer safely from the sidelines. Now, to get this, we have to start at the beginning of your life. See, according to the Bible, you and me are born as prisoners of war. It's a battle between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of God. And our natural pattern of living called sin, it, it comes from being born into the evil side of the battle. And on our own, we're actually powerless to overthrow its hold in our lives, which is why Jesus, God himself, came to rescue us. Colossians 1 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, once saved from the evil side then, the defining question of our lives becomes this. What now is my role in this great war? And today, you hit this exact fork in the road to greatness. It's a simple choice that God says you must make that will determine the entire course of your life from here on out. It's this simple. Are you going to enlist as a soldier or are you gonna stay a civilian? Though you've probably never thought about the choice in those terms, you intuitively understand the options, right? I mean, the job of soldiers is to jump into the cockpit, to take up arms and to start to fight. The job of civilians is to cheer on the soldiers and support their efforts, you know, maybe give up some comforts they could otherwise have to funnel more supplies to the front lines. The soldiers, they live on the front lines. The civilians, they live on the sidelines. See, the soldiers sit in the cockpits. The civilians sit in the bleachers. And here's the thing, we think that few are called to be soldiers, right? The few, the proud, the Marines. And most of us are called to be civilians, right? That few are called to be pastors and work on church staffs and be lead volunteers and those sorts of things. But most, most are just called to cheer them on as civilians on the side to sit in the stands and clap. I used to think this. I used to think that my job was to sit and cheer. I mean, I don't have a Bible degree. Still don't. You know, not for me. This kind of job, this kind of work, it must be for the pros. Me, I'm just a civilian. But here's the kick. And I, and I need you to lean in close here. Lean in close. According to Jesus, there are no civilians in the kingdom of God. There's just soldiers. Do you know what would be the most radical difference between Christianity and, and every other world religion is the absence of a special class of people. See, most religions have this special class. They're usually called the priests. And priests have one, special access to God, and two, special powers and special responsibilities. Metaphorically, they're the soldiers. Chances are, even if you've been around church, maybe especially if you've been around church, you've missed this critical piece of understanding. Because see, there are certain people called pastors, right? Or priests. And everyone else is usually called the laity or the lay people, which regardless of the bad theology here, can we just agree that's a terrible name? We, we really need to rebrand that, it's awful. But here's the thing, this two-class system, it's not found at all in the Bible. Let's look at what the Bible actually says. I'm gonna read you uh, a section of a letter written by Peter. He was one of the top three disciples of Jesus, and he wrote this to pretty much all believers all over the known world. And now it's a book in the Bible called First Peter because it was the first book he wrote. 
That's really, that's all there is to know about that one. Anyway, he addresses it like this in the very beginning. 1 Peter 1, 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God's elect means anyone who believes in Jesus. And those places that he's talking about, they're basically modern day Turkey plus the Western Mediterranean coast. If you were to overlay it on the US, we're talking an area the size of the East Coast from Jacksonville, Florida, up to Hartford, Connecticut, that stretches inland all the way to St. Louis. So, like a lot of people. And to all of those people, Peter wrote, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Royal priesthood. That means that everyone is royal and a priest. Everyone. Now, this is a critical understanding of the family of God. See, when you believe in Jesus, you're actually adopted into God's family, and he's the king, which is the royal part. Passages like 1 John 12, Romans 8, Galatians 5, they make that crystal clear. What that means is that you have a seat at the royal family's table and nothing you ever do can change that. Nothing. But here's the thing. You not only have a seat at the table, you actually have battles to fight as part of the army of God. See, everyone is both a son and a soldier. Everyone is both a daughter and a soldier. And that's the priest part. Have you ever wondered why I'm not Pastor Kyle? I'm just Kyle. And why Brian is Brian, not Pastor Brian. This is why. Though relatively small, that little qualifier would set us apart. And it would tell everyone, new or otherwise, that we have some kind of special access or insight into God that's probably not available to you. That we have special powers and special responsibility that go beyond, well, all of you people. But see, Jesus warned against this directly and explicitly in Matthew 23. He said, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. That's Jesus. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's clear, it's clear. God's call to every believer, you included if you believe in him, is to be a soldier. Ephesians 6 says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, God says, I have armor for you. You're a soldier and he wants you dressed. And can we just agree? It's probably not so you can sit on the couch. This isn't a dress up party. It's not, it's not Halloween. He wants you to spend your life fighting. And see, you have an enemy who doesn't want you to know any of this stuff. He wants you to think that you're an observer, a fan that you're doing and being the church if you come to church or you watch church. You know, one of the curses of my life is being a Cincinnati Bengals fan. It's a tragic, tragic flaw. I inherited it from my dad and his dad before him and now, now my children are suffering. It's awful. They haven't won a playoff game in like 30 years. I mean, I think we stopped counting at some point. It's been forever, forever. And see, I logically know that choosing to root for the Bengals is like picking a product. 
any other product, right? I mean, if I picked a toothpaste that rotted my teeth and made my breath smell like garbage, I would just pick a different toothpaste. But with the Bengals, even though they rot my teeth and make my breath smell like garbage, metaphorically, I can't quit them. I can't change. Why? It's because when I talk about the team, I say, we, even though I've never played a down of football in my life. I say stuff like, yeah, man, I mean, I really like what we did in the draft this year. I mean, that wide receiver, dang, it's amazing. Or I say, you know, as I'm watching the game, we need to block better. Or we should throw more. Wait, was that interception? Man, like I've been saying, I think we should stick to the run. You know, I've been saying that the whole game. By the way, if you're an actual Bengals player and you're watching this, I have a good feeling about us this year. I do. I think, I think we're going all the way. I really do. And even though you rot my teeth, I'm still in. Let's go. Really, I love it. I, I'm being honest. I can't quit it. Now, here's why this happens. It's because of what I call the Sunday myth that affects church and football. See, we think watching makes us part of the team. Listen to what I'm going to say very carefully. Listen very carefully. I want you to pay attention. You watching church no more makes you a Christ follower than you watching football makes you a football player. Maybe the greatest mistake the church ever made is we built what looked like bleachers and you thought that your job was to sit in them. And it seemed that just like the NFL, we're just inviting you to be fans, to follow us, then like, comment, and subscribe, you know? Buy the logo t-shirt, root for your favorite pastor, celebrate the killer sermons, and then tune in for more next week. And it's a tragedy that has to stop. It has to stop because the world is too broken for the majority of God's church to just sit and watch. And so you have to understand, by default, the culture you live in, it's shaped to get your life to curve to the norm. And that norm is not just being a civilian, but the most passive, harmless to the kingdom of darkness kind of civilian, a consumer. La, 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 living my life. You know, Christians who believe their primary role is to be pastor watchers or worship listeners fall in this category. I'm supposed to watch, to listen, to consume. How would you know if that's affected you? Simple question. What do you talk about after a message like this? You talk about God's word, how it's changing you? Or do you talk about the teacher's performance? I mean, it was okay, you know, it was okay. It wasn't Brian's best though. See, too much time is spent evaluating and talking about churches the way we talk about pants. Eh, it just wasn't a good fit. Hear me clearly. I'd love you to follow me on Instagram. I'd love you to follow Brian, but we're not posting so you can be our fans. This, this isn't a show. This is a pep rally. It's a mission briefing. We're not performing. We're coaches aiming to equip you for the fights. Please, please hear me, please. Please don't waste your life attending and evaluating church. Be the church. Don't waste your life sitting on the sidelines. Don't waste your life watching other people fight. This idea that you're made to be a civilian while the pros handle the heavy lifting, it's a lie. And it wants to take your dreams and make them so microscopically small that when you stare into the future of your life, what you imagine is a nice lawn. Really? I did a little bit of research this week on like, you know, what are the, what's the advice to have a great life? And I found this, this blog post on the AARP website. It's the Association, American Association of Retired People. And the title was, Want to Live Longer? Mowing the Lawn Helps. Stare into your future. Imagine a great lawn. Now, can you imagine getting to the very end of your life, the whole thing, 
standing before God and saying, look, Lord, at my lawn. I'm about it in a perfect checkerboard pattern, Lord. I aerated, I overstated. It was so much greener than Todd's lawn next door, Lord. So much greener. Have mercy on him, Lord. He knew not what he was doing. I mean, with his, with his lawn, Lord. What a tragedy. What a wasted life. Every single spiritual grape had a different vision for their life. See, rather than die with full barns and lush lawns, they dreamed of dying empty, of spending everything on the, on the most and the highest and the only worthy cause in the universe, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Jesus' call on your life is that you would do the same. You weren't created to be a civilian. You were made to be a soldier. See, if you want to be great, that means you have to take commands from the commanding officer. What is his command? It's pretty simple. Here's what he said, John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You, you're my friends if you do what I command. If, and this is my command, love each other. Jesus is your commanding officer. And he's saying, don't, don't waste your life being a civilian. Don't waste your life consuming and consuming and consuming, even church stuff, until you die. No, take up your sword and fight. Find your place, jump into a roll. And you fight by rolling up your sleeves and by serving, by giving up your life, something that's precious to you, your time and serving. By the way, this doesn't mean quit your job. We don't need more professional pastors. All I am is the army chaplain. We need more warriors in the front lines, in schools and in businesses and city squares and hospitals. We need servants serving with the power of God in every sector across our country. We need you in your unique lane using your unique gifts. I know it may be hard to believe, but do you know the world is literally waiting for you on this? Literally waiting. Romans 8 says, for the creation waits. For what? In eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That means step into their destiny. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You were born to be a soldier, to fight victoriously in the war that's gonna end all war. It's your destiny and it's your choice. You know, I know even if you want to make that choice, even if you're going, yes, I want to, I want to step into it. I, want, I don't want to live my life, waste my life as a, as a civilian, as a consumer. I want to step into it as a soldier. There may be a resistance in you. First, maybe you don't feel qualified in the sense of having gifts and talents. Ah, some people have gifts. Some people have talents. I don't have anything. Not me. I got skipped. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretations of the tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as he determines. That means when God thought of you, when he imagined you, he thought of 
what he wanted to gift you with. And see, each one means everyone, and everyone means you. Serving doesn't just have to be a crossroads official role. Those are just the ones that we have to offer. They're easiest for us to plug you into. The main thing here is that you jump into the fight and serve. God has gifted you for that reason. The second resistance you might feel is like you've messed up, you know, so bad, so bad that you've missed it. And messed up can mean like screw ups or it can just mean like maybe I've waited too long. It's it's too late in my life. No. (laughs) You know the record we have of Abraham, like the father of the nation of Israel and him following God begins when Abraham's 75 years old. It's not too late for you. And on messing up, you aren't qualified because of the study that you've done or your good behavior or your super smarts or whatever. You're qualified by one means only, Jesus. It's a one point resume. It says, Jesus saved me. That's it. And that means that you're expected to fight. Now, I want you to know being a hero will cost you. Not, not monetarily, but for sure in time. There's a cost to it that you're gonna work through. But I want you to know the secret. The secret's this. When you lose, when you give things up, when you pay the cost of being a soldier, you actually win and you actually gain way more than you give up. Luke 9:24 says, but all who lose their lives in the service of God because of me will save them. And the best view of the game, it's not from the bleachers, it's from the middle of the action. And the best life, it's not live watching other people fight. It's actually taking up arms. It's joining the eternal brotherhood and sisterhood that stretches back, 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 generations and putting the full weight of your life into serving as a soldier in the world redeeming army of God. When you do that, this is the amazing part. The victories, they become your victories. And the soldiers, they become your brothers and your sisters. And the captain, he becomes your captain. You know, in a minute, I want to share with you what I think is the most powerful thing Jesus ever said to his soldiers. But before we do that, we need to pause for just a minute and spend a few minutes talking to God, who's calling us to step forward. He's calling us to move. And I want us to say to him right now together, when you tell us to move, we will move. The most powerful thing Jesus ever said to his soldiers, it's a parable about the end of our lives. This is Matthew 25. Jesus said, then the king will come to those on his right. Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And it's parable, everyone looked around, they were like, hey, cool, 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 time out though. When exactly did we do that? Then Jesus continued, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Serving looks like oftentimes serving the least, doing things that feel beneath us, holding a door, making coffee, these little acts of service, 
that honestly cost us time and can just feel like a waste of time. But Jesus says, when you do that, when you serve in the least way, the least people, that's what I notice the most about your life. In fact, that's the thing that let me know that I have your heart. It's the thing that let me know I need to build you a room in my kingdom because I want you with me forever. That's, that's it. That's it. My prayer for you this week is that you would have the courage to step off the path of irrelevance that your life begins on and to get on the path to greatness. To say, God, if you need a soldier, here I am. You, you can send me. Send me. I want to pray a blessing for you this week as you interact with your guide, as you dialogue with God. Here's a blessing for you. God, thank you for everyone watching. Thank you for everybody listening. I pray that you would show up powerfully to them, that as we take one small step forward, God, you would meet us, that you would show us our gifts, and that you would you'd get us to the right spot, God. Because this is an army, and it's a big war. And I ask that every single person would get placed in the exact right spot to most use their gifts for the advancement of your kingdom. You're so good to invite us into this. Amen. Love it. I love it. I love the message. Um, path to greatness is really a choice to serve, to serve others. Um, by following Jesus, we get to go. We get to go and find a place where we can serve Him and serve others and build the kingdom where we are. So I would love for you to think about that. Where can you take that step? Where can you get into the fight and build the kingdom right in front of you, right where you are? Whatever your job is, whatever the people are around you, whatever it looks like, consider how you can take that step. All right. We're going we're gonna to be back next week with Kyle. Love you guys. See you next week.